right. So we're glad you're here. If you are joining us again, uh, you should have gotten a bulletin. In the bulletin, there's some cool information there about what's going on. Uh, not only announcements about the church, which I don't cover all those. I only cover a few of those. But also an outline that can help you follow along as we continue this series called I Am Group. And so the first week that we started this series, if you weren't here, we talked about what the first group really looked like. That the church, just in case you're curious, because we all grew up with different church backgrounds, right? Some of us grew up Pentecostal, some Catholic, some Episcopal, some whatever, right? Some of you have some level of a church background. It gets confused about what the church really is. And what we talked about is that the church is really a gathering. That's what the actual word means in the original language. Around a confession of who Jesus is. That's it. That's the church. And wherever you have that, that people are genuine about a confession that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the anointed one, right? He's, he's the Christ, that's what it said in the New Testament, that around that, you have the church. Now, if you want to know more about the church and how the church works on March 13th, and that we'll have that in the announcements later, we'll do a class called Gathering with Grace. We also do that class online, on demand, whenever you want it. And so that class talks about what does it mean to be a part of the church, you can send me an email. You can also do a connect card. And that's one of the ways that we'll know that you're interested in that class. Now, with that, we also said, if you really want to be a part of a New Testament church, the church you see in the Bible, it's in incredibly important you're in a group. We call those growth groups. Some people call them Sunday schools. They've been called, um, you know, uh, small groups. They've been called, um, there's all kinds of names people have given to these. But the reality is, is in the first church, they gathered in smaller groups. In fact, I would argue that that's the primary way that the first church gathered. It wasn't in large groups. It was in small groups. And they gathered home to home generally. Now, what I want to tell you and share with you is at the beginning of the year, we had about 80 people that were connected to a growth group. After the growth group fair last week, there's now 103 people connected to a growth group. So give yourself a hand for those who jumped in. You also launched some new groups, which are pretty impressive. One of them being an online group, which I heard went well. And I heard there's some hooty people, right? Some people are hoots in the group. And you guys had a good time. True? True that. Okay. So a lot of cool things are happening. What I want you to know is through this whole series, it's never too late to get in a growth group or birth a group. We really want you to get connected in relationship because this is where faith is really lived out. If the only Christian message you hear is once a week coming to hear me or watching online, you are starving as a Christian. You need to be in intimate connection and fellowship with other people, sharing your life, praying for one another, talking about what God's doing. And so every week over there, we've created a call, The Connection Corner. There's a TV over there. Pastor Tony, who's over groups, will be there. He's doing audio today. He's got like five hats. I'm like, I know I get it, bro. It's normal. But he'll be there and he'll help you launch a group or get connected to a group. So make sure you stop by there. So today, what I want to share with you about this series, I Am Group, is that this is, again, not my idea. It's not a modern church idea. It's not new. In fact, I would argue that groups and growth groups, the way we understand them, are older than Sunday school. Let me give you a lesson from Sunday school, some of you that have grown up with Sunday school. Does anyone know what the inception of Sunday school was about? Sunday school was actually birthed in England. And here's how it came about. You need to hear this because it's connected to what happened in their group. The church was watching the Industrial Revolution happen. And as they watched the Industrial Revolution happen, they saw an injustice. The injustice the church began to see was they were taking younger children who were no longer allowed to complete school, and they were putting them to work in the factories there in England during the Industrial Revolution. 
The church saw this and said, that's not right. And they began to use the Bible as their primary source to teach children how to read and how to be educated. And as the church began to engage with this issue in their culture, something that you and I now call Sunday school was birth. And it was actually, its original purpose was to engage with kids who were not getting educated because the system was failing them. Groups go back all the way to the beginning of the church. So what I love about this is it gives us a couple lessons. One, it shows us that groups evolve based on the needs in their community. Also, that maybe the ideas that we think are the old-fashioned ideas aren't as old-fashioned as we think. They may be even newer than what we think. And that the original idea of groups is something that's not my idea, it's not a church's idea, it's not a movement's idea, it's God's idea. So open your Bible, if you would, to Acts 2. We're going to look at 42 through 47. It'll be on the screen. It's also inside of your notes if you've got the bulletin. And what I want to do is read to you the original group that was launched right after the birth of the church. So Acts 2, 42 through 47, I'll be reading out the NIV. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonder, wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he or they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what I want to do is I want to take what you see in the first groups and I want to connect it to how we're currently fleshing out groups in our context and our life. And I want to show you how groups actually shape the gathering instead of the way the large gathering shapes groups. In fact, if we understand this correctly, church, and we begin to move in this direction in the right way, which is the way I believe that God's leading us, the church can't be a church with groups. The church must be groups that make up the church. The groups are the primary focal point. And if they're done well and they're done biblically, they will shape the larger gathering and movement, not the other way around. So here's the first thing you need to know. They shared wins. We, we have these three things. You see these things coming. If you've been around me for any amount of time, I tell you, there's three things I want to see in a group, right? And I don't care what order you do them in, but they're the wins, the word, and a wrestle, right? And you're going to see that this is not my idea. It's just me giving a new context and word to something that's happened long ago. Everyone was filled with what? All. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done. Now, if you get to see the cool things that happen with Peter and John and things are rocking in the book of Acts, right? You read this book and you're like, this is a cool book. And you see all the cool things are happening, like at the gate called Beautiful. If you've read the book of Acts, do you know this story, right? Peter and John are walking through this gate. It's the gate coming into the, you know, the temple, that area. They're walking through this place. They see this guy who's been begging for all of his life right there. And he starts trying to get their attention. He's like, hey, hey, give me some money. Give me some money. You, you never see that on the street, right? Give me some money. Give me some money. And they looked at him and they said, hey, we don't have any money. They're like you and me. They're probably poor. Okay. And they said, but what we have, we give to you freely in the name of Jesus. What? Walk. 
And the dude gets up, yeah, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks and he goes leaping and singing and praising into the temple courts, which got them in trouble with the religious leaders. That never happens today either, right? Got them in trouble with the religious leaders. Now you can't believe that when that happened, that in the groups and homes, people weren't saying, did you see what happened? And did you see how Peter smoked the Pharisees like and the Sadducees? Like he just tore them up when they pulled him to court, right? They were talking about these things, and they looked at these as the hand of God moving in their midst, and they wanted to share them with one another. They couldn't wait to do that. Now, what I want you to begin to see is that's normal in the church. It's supposed to be normal. It happens all the time. And I got to tell you, in my growth group, which meets on Monday nights, this is the hardest thing our group tries to share every week. I sit down with them. We've had our fellowship because we like to eat, okay? So we still have that fellowship. We have the food. And I sit down like, all right, share some wins with me. And they're like, oh, no, what's happened? Uh, pass, you know. <laughs> so, and then some of them start to lament right away. They start sharing about the, the, tr- the trials, right? I'm like, we'll come back to you. Wrestles at the end. Wins first, okay? And then we, but they have a hard time. Why do we have such a hard time sharing wins? Yeah, we have the wrong focus, We get focused on all the things going wrong in the world around us, which is not hard to find, right? And we forget to see the things that God is doing every day that's right. You have to retrain your thinking and retrain how you're focused. Let me give you that. So a lot of times when our group can't get wins, I just prime the pump. Are you there? I just start sharing the wins because I I see them all the time now. I'm starting to retrain my heart to find them in the culture we live. Mr. William, you heard us sharing about Mr. William. Some of you have been out on the mission field to be there with Mr. William. Guy who was flooded out, he's the modern-day Job, right? Lost his wife, she died. Then he got cancer. He lost everything, lost his job, couldn't work, didn't have enough energy to work. Then, it, then he had to drop his insurance for his house, and lo and behold, then he gets flooded right there in the Blackwater Refuge and has no money, no hope. And when we found him, he said, I think God just hates me, Right? Yeah, and hopefully he'd have the friends that Job had, right? Because he did not have good friends around him for advice. And we said, no, God doesn't hate you. In fact, that's why we're here. And as we began to engage with this man, we're seeing win after win after win after win, not only in his heart, but in the response of his community and the Christian community. We called Greensboro Baptist Church recently and said, hey, would you, we know you guys are big into disaster relief. Would you help us? They said, sure, we'll send 19 people. Bang. We started calling other churches. They said, yeah, we're seeing that. We're seeing what's going on. We're going to send some people. Then we started a crowdfunding program. And recently, um, like you guys are sharing, did it through the uh, Give, Send, Go platform so that everybody could give to it. We're seeing that increase. And then our own Baptist Convention in Marin, Delaware said, we see what's going on, and we're going to match dollar for dollar everything you raise because they see what God's doing. And what I'm telling you is if you just shift your focus these type of things are happening every day all around you. I'll give you some simple ones that aren't necessarily, you don't have to be always grandeur. When people open up in my group and start to share authenticity, you've been in a group like that? You got those people that are guarded. Y'all have those people. You know, they just sit there and they never share. They're very quiet. They never open up. And then all of a sudden they start sharing real hurts and real issues. I can't share those with you because those are confidential to group, but that's a win. And I see that happen all the time. Uh, Danny and I were talking about, and three or four of our groups, we were talking to some of the leaders this week. Pastor Tony and I were talking about this. And we have people that are starting to confess certain things that have been really eaten at them. And we're seeing freedom brought to these people and these families. 
but it's all because they built an intimate relationship. Last week, uh, another win that just came to my way, I had to share it with our group, uh, Mandy Amos, who works a lot of times back in Graceville. She sent me a video of the kids in Graceville singing their memory verse. You want to talk about a win. One, they sing better than a lot of us. And, and two, it was just cool seeing them memorize God's word in such a neat way. These happen all the time around you. I'm here to tell you that someone who's a sourpuss and is a Christian, they're a contradiction in terms. What's happened is their focus has either turned to religion, politics, or certain situations, and they've lost the heartbeat of what really the church is supposed to be. And the way you get it back, I'm telling you, is you get in a group and you start looking for what God's doing. When you see the cool thing that God's doing, then you can't help but do what happened in 47. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. You see what I'm saying? If you're the kind of person at your work, at your school, in your workplace, in your community, wherever you are, that you're constantly seeing the winds of God and you're constantly sharing those kind of winds with everyone around you, all people can hear is the amazing work of what God is doing in you, through you, and around you. And people are drawn to that because nowhere in our world do we see that right now. All we see is what's wrong with the world, not what's right with what God's doing. And when that happens, it's contagious, which is why it said God added to their number every day those being saved. That's connected. It was their worship. It was their praise. You understand that worship is an offering, right? It's a response to God. So when you come to church on Sunday, if you've not been focused on the winds of God, what praise do you have to offer him? You see what I'm saying? You can sing without worship. You get, you get that, right? You can praise with no heart. But when your praise and your worship is intimately connected to the hand of God and how God's been at work, it takes on a whole new depth. It takes on a whole new meaning, church. And your heart begins to change, and you're just brought to a place. This not only works with how you offer your, your voice, it's how you offer your money, too. It's how you offer what you give God, your time, your talent, your treasure. We have a whole thing that we're building on that. But let me give you some out of 2 Corinthians that most pastors will not share with you. I'm going to share it with you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, you can write this off the side, says about giving. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will what? Reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. But listen to what he says. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion or manipulation for God loves a cheerful giver in the original language the word means hilarious giver yeah like laughing your head off kind of giving how could someone give in such a way because they're responding to how God is at work in their life you should not give out of duty you should not give out of obligation you should not give because I tell you to give you should not give under coercion You should give completely of your time, talent, and treasure out of your love and your affection and your view of how God is at work in the world. And a person that gives in such a way, that changes the world. It changes the world. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. It was a movement based on them seeing what God was doing. When people see our light and the love that we have that's in our heart, they're drawn to the gospel like a moth to the flame. And I'm convinced this is one of the problems with our church. One of the things that I get accused of sometimes, I really do get accused of this. People will go, I don't trust you. I'm like, why can't you? don't you trust me? You smile too much. <laughs> Nobody can smile that much. They're like, you gotta be faking it, right? I'm like, no. It's, there's times I don't smile, okay? 
But I smile a lot because my focus a lot of times is on seeing the hand and the work of God. And when you see God at work, you can't help but smile. You can't help but be filled with God's joyous presence. This is what God wants for you, and that's why it's so important we share the wins and why they shared the wins in the first church. The second thing they did, which we just said, is they devoted themselves to the Word. They used the word, the apostles' teaching, okay? And to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. The apostles' teaching broken down for us is the Bible, okay? I'll make it simple for you. The apostles didn't have the Bible when the church was first launched. They were, they were building it like a train out of a train station, right? They were building it as they went. But over time, within the first 300 years of the church, they started to bring together the trusted teachings of the apostles, and, and, apostles, and that's what you and I have in the New Testament. So when you and I devote ourselves to our devotions, to our hang time, to reading God's word, making sure that's the primary source of where we get truth, then our lives begin to be changed. One of the things that um, has been a lot of fun is reading our devotion together online. You guys like that? Some of you have figured that out? So when we do the version, if you haven't found me, find me on version. Once we become friends, I always try to share the devotion we're doing together. I love the devotion. I do, because I love God's word. But sometimes I love just as much reading your comments about God's word. This week we were doing our devotion, and one of the devotions was all about um, prayer and testing the truth. And I just want to read for you. I won't use their names. I just want to read for you some of the things that people wrote and why it's so important to be connected to a devotion, but not just read God's word, but share God's word with each other. This is digitally happening, but it's so powerful. Listen to what these people said. Who we listen to and get information from is important and has an impact on how we think and speak. This is a good scripture reminding the believer of this truth and also provides us a method to test authenticity. Friends, let us not allow our ears to be tickled by false truths. Stay in his word and stay together as followers of Christ. That's from one of your fellow churchgoers on this passage that week. It was awesome. I read that and I'm like, gosh, listen how God is at work in this life. And all because we're engaged in God's word together. Listen to what this other person said. I'm so grateful when people tell me they're praying for me. I truly appreciate it. I've gone through seasons and things in my life where I felt too exhausted to pray or I didn't know how or or what to pray. So I find a lot of comfort in knowing people are praying for me. I generally try to return the favor and pray for people when I say that I will. Reality, real people engaged in a real devotion, sharing their lives with each other. This is digitally. Can you imagine how this gets amplified? when you're sitting knee to knee or online together and you're having a dialogue and a conversation. His word was always meant to be shared with each other and shared with the community around us. It was never meant to be hoarded. And that's why they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the scriptures. The scriptures should encourage us, challenge us, scare us, right? And be shared amongst us. They ought to shape everything in our life. That's why it's so important that we do this together. One of the things that we do is we know that the scriptures can be intimidating to people, right? They can be hard for them, right? Do you need help in understanding how to read the Bible? I get it. A lot of people do. That's why we have a class called Growing with Grace. The class is not about taking a class. In that class, you learn how to read God's word. My wife told me, she said, I grew up in church all my life and no one ever showed me how. I'm like, isn't that a sin for every pastor I've ever known? And I even feel the conviction myself all those years I've been a pastor and never took the time 
to write something down, as simple as what we've done, to show people how to read God's word. We want you to be able to read it. We want you to hear directly from God. So that's what we do in that class. It's February 27th. That one's in your notes. Um, You can sign up. And it's a short class that teaches you how to read God's word and how to engage in it. So in groups, we want you to be able to share the winds of God. We want you to be able to share God's word. And then finally, we want you to wrestle with life. And that's what I see in the first church. They wrestled with and through life together. They wrestled with and through life together. 1144, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. Y'all know what that means, right? Because it gives you, they sold all their possessions and goods. In other words, no one in that gathering ever had a need. The church made sure that it was met, and that was because they understood them, they had a relationship with them. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone that had need. You know, as the church grows, and the church does grow, whether the church grows through planting or the church grows in one location, it gets to a point where you realize something. You realize uh, whether you like it or not, the pastor can't do it. It's very humbling. Danny can tell you, Tony could tell you, you know, pastors generally, I've, I've not met many pastors that don't have a heart for people. If they don't, they don't usually last very long in the ministry. We have a heart for people. But what you begin to understand is you can't minister to everyone. It's just not physically possible. And the church knew this as they began to wrestle with and share their life within groups. They realized that the pastors were there to teach them and to advise them and to equip them but they were supposed to be the ones that were ministering one to the other through the difficult aspects of life. That's so necessary. What we do as a church, you may not be aware of this, but our deacons are set aside. So we have deacons in our church that are set aside to look out for the most um, disadvantaged people in our gathering. Whether it's through a life circumstance or they're widowed or there's a certain unique situation. We've set our deacons aside for those unique roles, deacons and deaconesses. But what we tell our deacons and our church is our primary goal is to get every single person in a growth group. Because I know if they're in a growth group, they're in a lifeboat. They're in a place that they can communicate and talk and share their life together. And then the growth group leaders can share back with us and say, there's a serious situation. Pastor, you need to get involved in that. And when we hear that, we're like, okay, we can do that. But there's no way to touch the life of every single person. But we can touch the lives primarily of our growth group leaders and our deacons and our leaders. And that's our role. So that you can grow and be the people that God wants you to be. And we've tweaked this over time. And I can tell you it's hard. As a pastor, you find more times than not you feel like you failed. I know that people will encourage you. But if you've got a heart for people, you always feel this way. And that's why I'm so grateful for our deacons, and so grateful for our growth group leaders, because you are the front line of how God really does love people. And when situations rise, because they will, they rise beyond your capacity. You're like, I can't handle this. This person's going through such a severe situation. I don't know what to tell them. That's when you can come back to your pastors and to your, and your deacons and say, help us. And we're like, yes, we can do that. Usually there's enough capacity to do that. And that's why this is so important. Because you are going to wrestle with, and you are going to wrestle through life. It's going to happen. I love that every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and they praised God. And all the needs were met. You know what happened in the first church? I don't know if you know all the history of it, because I love history. I'm a history geek. I love history. 
when they came together, they had something called an agape meal. Is anybody familiar with the agape meal? Anyone? Okay, a couple people. So when they would come together in their local groups, they would always share a meal together. And the agape meal was called, it's a love meal. It's a love feast. And it was a meal to deepen the fellowship and the connection between the people that were in group. Now, typically connected to the agape meal was the Lord's Supper. So whenever they would gather and have their regular meal, they would also take time to share the bread and share the wine or juice if you're Baptist, okay? But the reality is, is they did this often. And the reason they did it was it deepened their fellowship. One of the things that they did when they did this that was common as they wrestled through life was the early church had the capacity to confess. Somehow we've lost that in the church. We're terrified to confess. How will people judge me? What will people think of me? Will it damage a specific relationship? Will someone distance themselves from me if I have the guts to confess something? I believe as we were planning today's message and we were looking at all these facets, the wins, which are very important, God's word, which is central, we were thinking and feeling our pastors that this specific area is the greatest struggle of our church today. Not just in America, but grace. Confession. When's the last time you or I confessed something that was deep and hurtful that needed to be confessed before we could actually approach the table of God? That's what 1 Corinthians says. We're going to read that in a second together. But it says, before you come to the Lord's table, you ought to examine yourself, right? To look inward. So here, here I'm going to do something for you. And I'm hoping that you won't misuse it. I'm hoping you won't think less of me for this. But I'm going to confess something to you publicly that has not been confessed. Now, so you know I've already confessed it with close, confided friends. But only within the last two weeks. So... 50 is a hard age, is it not? How many of you have hit the magic age of 50? Okay. Okay. Stop telling me welcome to the club, by the way. Stop telling me welcome to the club. Okay. I have not got the ARP card. I'm not sure I will yet. Okay. So 50 is hard enough. But what you don't know is um, I grew up, some of you know this, being raised by a single mother and a brother who was nine, almost 10 years older than I was, who when my dad left, he left the family when I was 14, my brother stayed. And I didn't know it when you're 14, you don't know this. But as I got older, I realized my brother became my dad. Like he stepped in in a way that my dad didn't when I needed a father figure there. And what you may or may not know is my brother died of a rare cancer at the age of 47. So when I turned 47 and I caught up to his age, I began to feel an immense guilt for living as long as my brother. And I thought I would deal with it and it would be okay. I didn't tell a soul. But every year after 47, it's gotten worse. And when 50 was coming, it was getting intensely worse. And so I reached out to a trusted friend who's a counselor. I'm about to see that person about this. And he says, yeah, you're dealing with survivor's guilt. I'm like, I don't know what label to put on it. All I can tell you is how I feel 
I know it doesn't make sense in my head. As a pastor, I already know all the counseling components of what I should be telling other people that would come to me with this. But I can tell you that knowing these things does not change the reality of how I feel. And I feel guilty for even feeling guilty, if that makes sense. And so I began to grab a couple close friends and I began to say, this is what's going on. And brother, your brother Danny, Pastor Danny, and I sat down. We were two of the people that talked about this. And he reminded me of a recovery principle that you should know that's a church principle, which is this. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick based on the things you don't reveal. And I can tell you in two weeks' time, I still need to work through this, but in two weeks' time, the load is less. The feelings are less intense. And still got to work through some of these pieces. But the reason I tell you this is we all need this. Every single person here, I guarantee, has something that they need to confess. A hurt, a hang-up, an issue, something that you feel like is keeping you from moving forward. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. And just play some soft music for us. Because I think that this is the very reason that we're here today is confession. While they're coming up, I'm also going to ask our deacons and our pastors to come up. But I also want to give you a moment of freedom. I chose some trusted people. Some of them were pastors. Some were deacons. Some were in my group. Obviously my wife to share that struggle with. And it's still messing with me, but it's getting better. What I know is that there are people in this room today that you need confession. I know it. There's people online. You need confession. These people have taken an oath and they're calling to never share anything that you give them, that they will hold in confidence to you anything that you share. But they're not just the only ones. There's other people as you look around the room and as you think about people you can call online that you trust. And what's more important is not that you come here, it's more important that you actually make the confession, the good confession. The initial confession brings us to faith, by the way, if you've never made that confession. That's the confession that we're a sinner, that Christ died for us and there's nothing that we can do, but he's done it all when he died and paid for our sins. And we commit our lives to him, we do that through the confession of admitting our sin before God and asking for his forgiveness. That's how we become Christians. But the way that you come to Jesus is the way you grow in Jesus. You don't stop confessing. It's just the depth of those confessions change. It can be a confession over a loss, a grief that you're working through that you haven't processed all the way yet. It can be the confession of an intimate struggle that you're having. It can be the confession of an issue at work, a family member that just frustrates you to no end, a life situation that seems like you're powerless to change, a disease that you haven't handled the way you thought you would. I'm telling you, when these are confessed, the power of God is released into your life and into mine. This is the way we prepare ourselves for God's table, which we will participate in a moment. And you can't miss this opportunity. You can't let it pass you. 
If there's someone not up here that you feel like you could confess to, find someone in the congregation or pick up the phone and call the person that you have an intimate relationship with and confess. Share what burdens you. And here's what I know because I'm experiencing right now on this particular issue. There's freedom at the end of that confession. And it's what the early church was supposed to do. So what I'm asking you to do today is confess what you're wrestling with and then be refreshed at his table. But first, enter into his confession. Let's just create a space, a quiet, safe space, both those online and both here. And as God leads you, as God moves in you, as you hear the Spirit of God draw you, come and confess and know that it'll be left here and the power over your life will be gone. Let's take some moment to do that.